our scripture reading today, we're going to expand on that a little bit and go beyond John 3.16 and read through verse 21. So I invite you to turn over to John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, going through verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead. Instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is our ministry for kiddos who are four years old through second grade, or they can head to the back with our Kingdom Kids workers. They can take them over to our education building next door, where they're going to have a great time learning and worshiping at their level. And parents, you can pick them up there after the service today. Keep in mind, they do lock the doors behind them for security reasons, so you'll have to ring that doorbell, show proof of ID, let them know that that's your kid. They won't just hand them out to anybody. Trust me, I've asked them to, but they don't do it. They won't do it. They won't do it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, one thing that we had the privilege to do was host our high school boys. And, uh, and it's, if I could host any of them, it would be the high school boys. They're just they're so relaxed. And they, and, they, and they went to bed at a timely hour. I was keeping them up. I was trying to show them how to play video games. They didn't know. They were like, what is this? What is this? I've never... I don't understand how does this work? I said, well, these are the buttons. This is what you do. This is how you win. And uh, no, I'm kidding. But we had we had a lot of fun. And uh, so, but I'm ready for a nap. How many of you are ready for a nap today? It's like I didn't even do D now. I'm just, I'm just, I just need a nap. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, excited to share with you from John chapter three. Even though a portion of this passage is well known to us. The story that precedes it is about a guy named Nicodemus, and uh, I think there's some things here that God will want to share with us through his word, so looking forward to doing that. Let's just pause, and would you pray with me as we enter into a time of study of God's word? Father God, thank you so much for the incredible blessings you have given us, from uh, being able to see our friend Mark be here from Montana, and just be in his presence is a great blessing to to celebrate what you've done through D-Now is a great blessing. Just to wake up, have breath in our lungs, and another day today that you have blessed us with, God, we give you thanks. But there is no greater blessing than the blessing of knowing that you have given us your son, Jesus. That in love you have called us out of condemnation that we rightfully have earned to give us a place as your children, which is given to us as a gift God, help us to understand what that means, not just for life hereafter, 
but life here and now. God, reveal to us what it is that you want us to do with the words you speak to us today. As your servant James said, so that we would not be just hearers of the word only, but that we might hear and understand and be doers of your word. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, you've probably heard those words, John 3.16. You've probably seen them on signs. You've heard them quoted by athletes. You've, uh, you've, you may be able to quote it yourself. I would imagine a fair amount of you could do that, right? Um, but John 3.16 actually follows on the heels of a story about a guy named Nicodemus. In fact, John 3.16 is either Jesus' words to Nicodemus... Or perhaps they're John's words. John is the author of the Gospel of John, obviously. Or it could be John's words to those who are reading about the story of Nicodemus. But either way, it's God's word to us. Amen? It's God's word to us. And so what, what is John 3, 16 through 21 unpacking? It's unpacking the story of Nicodemus. Now, who was Nicodemus? We read in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the Gospel of John that now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now what that man is, it was Nicodemus was extremely religious. He not only followed the laws of God, but he wanted to make sure that he, he never even came close to violating the law of God. And that's kind of what the Pharisees were known for. You may have heard that phrase before, to be a Pharisee, to be Pharisaical. means to care more about the letter of the law than the lawgiver God himself. And he was in that boat. Not only was he in that boat, but he was a part of what was called the Sanhedrin. That was the, the, the ruling leaders within Judaism itself. He was one of those guys. Top of the pyramid. Now, the thing you got to know about Pharisees is they had a lot of rules added to God's rules. If God said, don't go 10 feet on the Sabbath, they'd say, well, we're not going to go 5 feet on the Sabbath so we don't get close to 10 feet. That's just an example. That's not like a, a hardcore core. That's not a specific rule, but that is something they would do. So that they would never get close to violating the law of God. And the Sabbath was a big deal. Did you know in the, in the Old Testament, God said, if you violate the Sabbath, the day in which God rested, God would, God would command his people, kick those people out. It was a big deal. And... Jesus came along and he said something like this. He said, you know what, guys, you need to relax. God gave us the Sabbath for us. He didn't make us so that we could religiously observe the Sabbath. God made man and gave us the Sabbath as a blessing. He did not make the Sabbath and give the Sabbath man to obey it. And he would do things on the Sabbath that you weren't supposed to do according to the Pharisees. Like he would heal people. His disciples would work by taking grains, uh, heads of grain off of a stalk to eat it. Stuff that no one would get upset about unless you were a Pharisee, right? So all of this stuff is happening in the background of Nicodemus' life. He is at the pinnacle of being a religious elite in Judaism. He's a Pharisee, and he's a part of the ruling uh, body, the Sanhedrin. So he's the tip of the iceberg. But he hears about Jesus. I don't know how, 
But worried about when you got a guy who can feed 4,000 and 5,000 and bring people back from the dead, word gets around, right? There was no social media, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat, there was nothing to get the word out. But people would tell people who would tell people who would tell people. And word got out about Jesus in that little part of the world. So somewhere along the way, Nicodemus heard about Jesus. And he wants to know more. But this Jesus has a bad reputation among Pharisees. And he's not just a Pharisee, he's part of the ruling elite. So what can he do? God is obviously drawing Nicodemus to his son Jesus. But certainly out of, most likely at least, out of fear, Nicodemus will not approach Jesus in public during the day. So we read that in verse 2, Nicodemus, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He says we, but he's obviously speaking for himself at the very least. Not all Pharisees shared his opinion. But there's something unique about Jesus. He was a teacher. He performed signs. He did wonderful things. And then Jesus replies to him, very truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they were born again. You may have heard that phrase before, born again, Christian. That's where, that's where that comes from, is right here in this story of Nicodemus. Just, Jesus is saying, you don't need just a few tweaks to your life. You don't need to just add a little bit of religion. You don't just need to show up to church every once in a while. You don't need to just get on a Bible reading plan, though we are doing that, and I encourage it. He says you need to be reborn. You need to have a whole new start to this thing you call life. What has come before is not going to get you to where God wants you to be. There has to be a definitive moment of transformation where you cannot be called what you once were because you are now something new. You have been reborn. You are, a, in the words of Paul, who was also a Pharisee who encountered Jesus and his life was changed. He would say it like this, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He does not sugarcoat it with Nicodemus and say, Nicodemus, you know, you're getting some things right. You're doing pretty good. You're following God's law. You're even following the laws that people came up about with God's law so that you never get close to violating God's law. Hey, you know, you're doing great. You even come to see me. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Doing good. Hang in there. You know what? You just, you just need this one little tweak. You just need this one little add-on. You, you just need to make this little change in your life. It's not what Jesus says. He says everything's got to change. Now this is confusing to Nicodemus. Now keep in mind, Nicodemus is a teacher. He, is, he has had formal training. As a Pharisee, he would have had formal religious training. By the way, Jesus didn't have that. He didn't have formal religious training. He was not technically, he should not have been technically considered by any Pharisee a rabbi. That denotes formal religious training. Nicodemus had it, Jesus didn't. But Nicodemus saw something in Jesus that indicated 
He's getting this from somewhere. It wasn't religious training. It must be from God. He understood that, but he could not wrap his mind around what Jesus just said when he said, you have to be born again. So he asked the question in verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? You know, sometimes we, we may think things like people were so gullible back in Jesus' day. They would just believe anything. Let me tell you, they had a hard time comprehending God in the flesh, Jesus himself, every bit as much as we may have a hard time comprehending him today. Nicodemus is struggling. Have you ever struggled to understand what God is doing in your life? To understand the words of God spoken to you through the scriptures? If so, you are in good company. There's a whole host of Jesus' followers and disciples as well as detractors who just could not wrap their mind around what in the world is this guy saying? What is he doing? And I would imagine if someone like God stepped into human flesh, it would be so radically transformative from any other experience with any other human being in the world that if I were transported back 2,000 years ago, I would be with Nicodemus scratching my head thinking, Born again, we've already been born. I don't remember it, but I know I was there. How can you go through this again? This, is, this makes no sense. Again, I, I love when Jesus, he's just so straightforward. Like, oftentimes we think of Jesus as like, he's so kind and he's so sweet and he's so nice. Listen to how he addresses Nicodemus. He is going to tell you the uncomfortable truths about you that you need to hear out of a place of love. As much as he is loving and kind and gentle and lowly, all true, he will also be loving enough to tell you hard truths about you that you need to hear. And that's what he does for Nicodemus. Out of love, he chastises him a little bit. Verse 5, he says, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. It's a refer reference to Ezekiel. It's a promise that the prophet made, or God made through the prophet Ezekiel, when he said that, that God is going to sprinkle you with water and cleanse you. God is going to give you a new spirit. Again, new life, transformation, not an addendum to your life. Not a little bit more religion. Something completely new. A cleansing of all sin. The Holy Spirit of God dropping down into your very soul. That's something together, altogether different than life before Christ. Verse 6, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but it is the Spirit who gives birth to the Spirit. Now, what, what's he going to get at here? He's going to point out God's Spirit is working. You can't see the Spirit of God, but he's working. He gives this analogy. He said, well, before that, he says in verse 7, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from 
or where it is going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What is he saying? You can't control this. God is at work. You can't even see it with your eyes, but you can see the effects of it like wind. You go outside today and you will know where you stand, whether it is windy or not, but you don't see the wind. You feel its effects on your face. You see it move through the grass or through the trees, but you don't see wind. You just see the effects of wind. And if you look for it, you will find it. It is the same with God. You won't see God with your physical eyes, but if you look for him, you will see his effects in your life. You can't control it just can't, like you can't control the wind out in the world, but you can experience it and you can see the effects of it if you open your eyes. Again, Nicodemus is not afraid to ask the question, what are you talking about? You ever sat in a class or in a Bible study before and you just think that question like, what, what are we, what? Circumcision, hey, that's a fun one to discuss. What in the world is going on with that? You know, you just have those moments where you want to raise your hand and say, what's up with that? I don't understand that. Can you repeat that? And sometimes, a lot of times we don't. We're too ashamed. Nicodemus, but hey, you know, Nicodemus, he's here at night. Just him and Jesus. Nobody, presumably nobody's around. Maybe just some of Jesus' disciples. So he didn't mind asking the question. He says, how can this be? And this is where Jesus kind of gives him a little, I think, gentle ribbing. He says, you're Israel's teacher. When people say, who are some of Israel's teachers today? You would go down the list and Nicodemus would be on that list. And he says, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. He's saying we are living a life experiencing the presence of God, the wind blowing through. So we know that we know that we know God is in this. This Jesus movement, God is in this. There are others that are standing outside of it, concerned about religious life. But on the inside of it, we are experiencing not religion, but relationship with God through the grace of Jesus. And Jesus is saying to him, you are rejecting what you don't even know. You and those like you. What's it like to enter into this so that you know that you know that you know? He says in verse 12, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you about heavenly things? He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the Son of Man from heaven. Now he's speaking to him, he's speaking about himself. Son of Man is the way Jesus referenced himself. And as he's referencing himself there, what is he saying? He's saying, you can take it on my authority. I'm tell, I can tell you about heavenly things because I have been there. That's where I came from. And here you see this juxtaposition that Jesus is God from heaven, and yet he is man on earth. I am the son of man, yet I have come from heaven. That's why he's so different from what they had heard and seen before. In fact, they would say that in the Gospels, like, 
we've never heard any teaching like this. No one talks like this. This guy seems to claim things like, your sins are forgiven. He seems to be able to say things, y'all have understood the Bible this way, but let me tell you the truth about how it is. So Jesus says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That's an interesting reference, isn't it? What in the world's going on there? Well, there's a story in the Old Testament where God's people got tired of, you remember wandering in the desert? Remember that whole story? Out of Exodus, they've left uh, Egypt. They're wandering around in the desert waiting to get into the promised land. And it wasn't a great experience for them. They didn't always have a great time. And the people began to grumble against Moses and his leadership. And God said, all right. You want to do that? I'll send some snakes your way. It's a crazy story. I'll send your snakes away. And the snakes entered into their encampment. They bit people. People died. People were getting uh, sick. And, and it was nuts. And, and they said, you know what? I think maybe, maybe we were wrong about Moses. Maybe we need to backtrack a little bit. God, could you get us out of this mess? And God says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a snake. You're going to put it on a pole. Everyone who looks at the pole with a snake on it is going to be fine. It's a crazy story. God does crazy stuff. You just read the Bible. He does crazy stuff. I think because we get so used to going down one path, he's got to get us out of a rut. He says, let, let, me, let me get you to look up. You're not looking up, you're looking at yourself, and you're not getting what you want, so you're blaming Moses. Let me at least get your eyes drawn up at least a little bit. How are we going to do that? Well, we'll just put a snake on a pole. I don't know how he got to that, but he got there, and it worked. And what Jesus is saying is that I will be lifted up. Now, he's using that to indicate two things. One is that God is going to exalt me. The Father in heaven is going to exalt me, and you're going to see that what I'm saying is true. But he's also talking about being exalted and being lifted up as a way of talking about his coming crucifixion. It is in his death that he is exalted. It's an incredible thing. We think to be exalted is to be lifted up and put on a platform, put on a throne, that our name is known. Great. People worship us. People honor us with their life. We would think that's to be exalted. And God says, I'm showing you something different. I'm going to exalt my son through crucifixion, through death, and then through resurrection. So Jesus says, it's going to come. And you're going to see. You see, sometimes I, I get the sense that Jesus just is planting seeds. You know, he talked about that. The soils and planting seeds. You remember that story, that parable he tells? If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's worth looking up. Sometimes Jesus is just dropping seeds. He's dropping seeds in Nicodemus' life that he's hoping one day is going to produce some fruit. And that's a good way to think of things like D-Now or a Sunday morning worship service. We're planting seeds. God's going to water those seeds. God's going to make those seeds grow. He's saying, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be exalted. I'm going to be crucified and then resurrected all that's underneath what he's actually saying but he's planting that seed that one day Nicodemus may see 
what right now he cannot see. When he gets word that Jesus died and then he rose. And I wonder if it's at that moment that his life changed when he began to put together all that he had heard Jesus tell him. Because in the moment, he's having a hard time processing it. He's having a hard time understanding it. It's not all making sense to him. But perhaps in time, he will begin to understand. And, and again, I don't know if these are the words of Jesus or the words of John. does not matter. It is the word of God. And in the word of God, what we are told is that there is darkness and there is light. Jesus is the light. Jesus comes to shine light in our lives that we may see the truth. And that is what he's doing for Nicodemus. And we can't miss the fact that Nicodemus chooses to come to Jesus in the dark. Comes to him at night. The Holy Spirit speaking through John the disciple is making a point. We don't come to Jesus out of the light. Out of our own enlightened understanding. Out of our own knowledge and our own study and our own preparation. We cannot come to God out of our own goodness, out of our own merit. Every one of us comes to God out of darkness. There is no other way. But when we see that light, everything changes. It's like being born again. It's like a new creation. That light has to come in. And push out the darkness. But there is a struggle here. Because we like the darkness. What does the darkness do? It hides stuff. So we think. We think the darkness hides what's in here. And it may. I may be able to, in the dark keep you from knowing things about me. But I cannot keep God from knowing things about me. There is no amount of darkness that will keep God in the dark about the condition of my soul. I cannot fool him. Jesus says, I'm the light. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to invade your darkness. There is nothing you can do. There's nothing you will do. All you have to do is to be willing to let the light in. But here's the challenge. We love the darkness. We want to hide. Let's be honest. What's inside of me and what's inside of you is pretty ugly. It can be pretty dark. There's thoughts that we have, wishes that we have, dreams that we have. We wouldn't want anybody to know about. Desires we have, we wouldn't want anybody to know about. It's deep in there. So if I could just keep out the light, I can hang on to what's in the dark. But as we said over the weekend, nothing good grows in the dark. The way forward, the way into new life is to let the light invade. And here's the beautiful thing. It's at the center of this section of Scripture. Is that when God's light invades, is Jesus himself. And when how has Jesus come? He has come to love you. In your darkened self. In your sinful state. In your brokenness. 
in your rebellion against him. He has come to love you, not to condemn you. When you keep reading beyond John 3.16, what does it say? The Son of God did not come to condemn us. To open the door of our soul and peer into the darkness and say, yep, there it is. I knew it. This guy is condemned. He is condemnable. Like a, like a building, when you see the sign, don't enter, this building is condemned. This is worthless. This is a piece of junk. This has no value. In fact, it's dangerous. Stay away. God does not invade our darkness to do that. He does not invade our darkness to condemn. He invades our darkness to love us. Love us into his light. To let us know that come this way. And if you do, this is where new life is found only in the light. And so I just want to encourage you as we close our service this morning to think about where, if, you're, if your life was a house, where are those corners of your house? Where are those closets? Where are those doors closed? And the light switches off and you say, no one gets in. Would you at least, at the very least, spend a moment in prayer here in a moment just to say to God, God, I am scared of that room. I don't want the light to invade, but I know it's not good. It should not be this way. I need to let your light in there. Will you help me with that? God is so good, he will. He will, I promise you, he will help you. And let me just tell you a little secret. We all got rooms. You are not alone. We all got rooms like that. But God intends to, op or to help us open every one of those doors and bring light into every one of those places of our lives so that his light, his love may shine through so that we may be changed. We might become that new creation in Christ evermore. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your son Jesus who gives us these incredible pictures of what you are doing. And God, I think we could all just confess that there's some dark places in our life that we wish, wish weren't there and perhaps we spent a lot of time trying to pretend like they weren't. A lot of energy trying to hide the fact that behind that door is nothing but darkness. God, you are calling us into the light that is your son, Jesus, who loves us. So help us to just invite him in. That we might experience the fullness of life he promised us. Becoming more the new creation. For some here this morning to experience new birth for the first time. How did you speak to us? I pray that we would speak back to you in prayer and in song. God, what you've revealed to us, we would not just hear and understand, but we would seek to live this out as we leave this place. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus.